Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Find a way. Hey, 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 it's Christoph Wrights of the Poet Life Podcast. It is another week, another episode, and I am truly excited to have David Bianchi. And listen, you all are going to know why I'm excited about having this brother on this episode tonight. The experience and information that he has to impart um, is is one for the record books. And so you'll, you'll find out. David, how are you, sir? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I just... Um, and it's funny, I was speaking to my girlfriend today and, uh, you know, because I'm always very selective about what podcasts I do. Sure, you know, sure. There's a, you could throw a rock and hit a podcaster. But, yeah. you know, I, when, when I took a look at what you're doing and why you're doing, it makes sure. sense to me that, like, sure. look, we're going to be speaking to people that are in the church that are interested in poetry, art, growth, empowerment, self-betterment, yeah. creativity. So I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you, man. Most definitely. Um yeah, because you didn't have to do it, man. I, I I know you have a lot going on. You have a a movie premiere, you know, coming up on the thirteenth, and, and and I already know with rollouts, it's just a lot. Uh, probably even more, uh, um, you know, than the production. You know, once <laughs> it's all said and done, you got a whole lot to do to roll it out. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I completely understand, man. So, listen, man, I I really want to start at the beginning. And and find out where you got your start because um, I was talking to your 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 colleague your co-star um, Sean Smith and he was he was singing your praises <laughs> you know yeah most definitely and I said I got I gotta meet this guy man and so again thank you so much for coming on and you know what let's start here tell me about Spinema right. Um, yeah, it's, it's an important it's, it's an important moniker that I created um, as for for the audience out there. Obviously, you guys are politically inclined. Um, Spinema is an art form that I that I that I created called that basically stands for spinning cinema through spoken word. And so back in 2006, uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, the first film that I the first short film that I produced professionally was a piece called Soldier. Uh, which was a spoken word piece that was basically um, what it would be like for a man to lose another man in his arms at the foot of the Iraqi war. Um, I was watching CNN and at the top of the, the top red banner was Brad and Jennifer had broken up. And then in nine point type somewhere beneath there, 14 soldiers died in Fallujah. And, uh, and it it, it popped my top. And at this time I was living in Los Angeles and I was sleeping on an air mattress at my boy's house. He had a little pit bull that would sleep on my head when I wake up. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have a dollar to my name and I'd come to LA, you know, straight out of theater school from Arizona State University. But I was a resident poet at a place called the Poetry Lounge in Hollywood. And so mm-hmm. I and so I knew that I had a platform. So it was like guys like you know, Sekou, the Misfit, mm-hmm. Steve Connell, um, you know, even back then, Omari Hardwick was one of the residents there. Mm-hmm. Um, NQ, you know, a lot of these guys that are really explosive in the scene right now. These, This was, you know, now 15, 16 years ago. And so I knew I had a platform. And so I wrote this piece. And it ended up becoming a, a film, the first film that I produced in L.A. And it ended up playing film festivals all over the world. And it's basically an experimental narrative film told entirely in poetry. So this name Spinema didn't really dawn upon me until about mm. four or five years ago. But over the course of the years since then, I've continued to produce what I call what we called spoken word or poetry films. Um, and so the idea of Spinema was an evolution of that. So when we think about it and for the audience that doesn't quite understand it, you know, you go on YouTube and you can see poetry videos all the live long day. Guys standing in front of their, their studio yeah. unions and words superimposed on the screen. Okay, that's great. And those are powerful. Yeah. And I endorse that. But that's not Spinema. Spinema is using all the languages of the spoken word, the art form of performance art, being and also being a thespian within the delivery of the poetry while using all the languages of cinema. So cinematography, lights, camera, production design, prop mastery, art direction, wardrobe, makeup, and creating universes 
And, you know, we, we create original scores and we sound design them and we mix them. So it's basically an amalgamation of all the art forms that are David Bianchi. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Where So where did spoken word come in the picture for you? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting question. The, the the short version is that ever since I was a child, I loved the way that words sounded when they rhythmically were put together. Cat, hat, this, that, baseball, bat, all that. I just loved the way that sounded when I was a child. So I always used to write rhymes, things like that. Yeah. Um, flash forward to the golden era of hip hop in upstate New York. Um, I got involved in battle rapping and b-boy culture. And so, you know, it was always just any any time in the school hallway or in the cafeteria, wherever we could, we were always just battle rap and busted raps, this and that and the third. But I was raised for the most part in, you know, upper middle class America, you know. And so I wasn't like so during that time, like if it was 90s hip hop, if you were an East Coast, West Coast gangster, like you weren't going to be a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like nobody really wanted to talk about, you know, here you talk about, you know, boarding schools in your raps. Right. <laughs> Um, and so as I sort of evolved as a human being, I ended up going mm -hmm. to Arizona State University and that's where I discovered slam poetry. Right. And so for the audience out there that doesn't know the distinction, you know, spoken word and slam are synonymous, mm. but they're two different art forms. So spoken word has its roots in the Harlem Renaissance, right? That, right. Is, that is predominantly a black art form. Now slam poetry has its roots in Chicago coming out of the Chicago beatnik poetry scene, right? Which is actually competition poetry. Right. So slam poetry and spoken word have the same delivery cadence mechanisms, but slam poetry is when you're doing it for competition and people are judging you, you know, based on scorecards and so on and so forth, hence national slams. But the slam community and the spoken word community, they don't necessarily mesh, just like white folks and black folks don't mesh. They're segregated. And yeah. I always want, I always resent, I actually personally as an artist, I resent the term spoken word. Really? I, I resent it because every word is spoken. So what makes you different? <laughs> right? It's like, okay, cool. Like, because just because you can write doesn't mean that you can successfully do the performance art of performance art poetry. Ooh. Because when you put a good poet on stage, I could put him on mute and still feel a catharsis. I can feel something because it bleeds off of me. They leak it, right? So that's why sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll catch the napkin poet, which is fine. You want to be the napkin poet and get up and express yourself. I, I endorse that. But if you want to be a slam poet, right, or a good spoken word poet, let me get mm -hmm. that, right? You've got to have a physicality about you. You've got to blur the lines between a written word and performance art. Because the idea of delivering good poetry, and I did two, two seasons of Verses and Flow, and I've competed uh, across the country. The idea of good performance poetry requires the physical form, mm. right? It requires, yeah. it requires different peaks and valleys and the delivery and, and the idiosyncrasies and, and, and connecting with the audience. And that from a physical perspective, like in slam competitions, for example, they give you three minutes. Right. Your three minutes with a 10 second grace period begins when you engage the audience. Now, engaging the audience doesn't mean I spoke a word. Right. I get up to that mic and I stand at that mic and I gleam at the audience. I've engaged them. My time starts. Right. So it's about what the what the Greeks used to say in ancient Greek theater, which is called a catharsis, which is yeah. an invisible connection a pathos or empathy between the audience and the performer that is created in the invisible, in the invisible dynamic between the stage and the seat. And that is what you try to evoke, at least what I try to evoke when I perform on stage, which is evoke a catharsis, which is to mm. make you feel something that you weren't ready for. Right. And so when we say spoken word, it's like, okay, well, that's cute. Are you a are you a good artist? <laughs> you know? Yeah, That's the question that I have. You know, are you worth listening to? Are you worth my captive audience? Because everybody's busy. You know, that's the question. And I mentioned earlier about captive audience. You know, and I don't know if we were on the record or off the record, but I think it's very important. I hold this dear to my heart. Yeah, bring it back. Bring it back. That, um, that it's very important that as artists, 
art is only as good as the display in which it stands. Art is only as good as the eye or the heart of the beholder, right? Right, now, right. But further that, the testament of good art is when the, you put it on public display and the absolute stranger takes time out of their life to cross the room and commend you for what you've done. Mm. Because your friends will always placate you. Right. <laughs> your friends will always give you, you know, green eggs and ham and thank you for and thank you for that and well done and good job, kiddo, good job. But when the stranger says that was really moving, now you know you've done something, right? Wow. So now to digress to my original thought is that we have a specific responsibility to our audience to not waste their time. Because even like the audience that's listening to me right now, I have a specific responsibility to you all that if you're going to give me your captive audience, I am going to give you so many mustard seeds that you will be forced to rewind and rethink and rethink and replay and replay and say, damn, David's got something to talk about. That's that guy, that's that guy, he's extrapolating things. And, you know, that's a fancy word for breaking stuff down. Mm -hmm. you know, so um, it's very important that we respect the captive audience, because if you don't, you'll never get a captive audience again. And if you do, you'll get captive audiences at continuum. Sure. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think it is important for a poet, a performance poet, to take classes and workshops in relation to their, their performance? Like, how long have you been acting? Ah. Um, the, the answer to your first question is yes, mm. yes, yes, and yes. Yes. And, and, and workshops and things like that, they come in all shapes sure. and sizes. Sure. I mean, if you look, if you look at, look at standup comics, one of the most important thing a standup can do is go watch comics. Right. Right. So when I first moved to LA, I came to LA having performed at national slams, having produced poetry events, I already had my, I'd already defined and sort of found my voice. But when I came to Hollywood, to the Greenway Court Theater, to the Poetry Lounge, to arguably one of the most competitive rooms in the country, and I sat in there, I was like, okay, let me see what these cats are up to. And I had to size them up or learn from them, right? And as soon as I saw what they were doing, I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm not tripping. Mm. <laughs> you know? But it can be very intimidating for a young up-and-coming poet who's trying to find their voice. So I definitely think that um, you know, taking some one-on-one -on -one acting classes taking some public speaking classes, taking some classes to learn how to speak from your diaphragm and not your vocal box, you know, learning how to hit the back of a room from your diaphragm, knowing how to emote, knowing when and how to use the dramatic pause, right? So you have to earn that pause. You can't just throw it around. <laughs> you know, you've got to earn the dramatic pause. But these are things that are, these are things that are sort of like, you know, theater 101. Um, so I think that, yeah, watch as many poets as you can. Um, definitely take some acting classes, you know, take take some movement classes and study. Study people that motivate you, you know, because all art is stolen. I'm not doing anything new. I'm just doing it centrifuge through my experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. steal more people, you know, um, Eddie yeah. Murphy, Richard Pryor and Chris Rock stole from Eddie and, you know, <laughs> and so on. Um, regarding your question about acting, um, I remember vividly, we used to act out TV commercials for the kids in the neighborhood on the swing set. And uh, we would sit on the swing set and other kids would act out the commercials and we'd switch. So I was doing improv work before I knew what improv was. Wow. And that was um, so I was always sort of you know rambunctious and I was always sort of energetic and ready to be in front of people. Um, but I, I, my first theater production uh, was in Mexico City. I lived in Mexico City for five years. And I was cast as Captain Hook and Peter Pan. Now, hmm. they get, you know, they paint the mustache on you. Right. And all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is important because we never know who our invisible mentors or who our invisible or visible inspirations are going to be in our life. Mm -hmm. now, I will date myself. You know, I was... I was born late 70s. So this was like early 80s. So now, mind you, you think of Captain Hook, you don't think of this. Right. You think of like Antonio Banderas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think of like the olive skin, white, Eurocentric guy. Sure. So this was the first time that I had ever performed in a play in front of a house of 100 people. So I, to a certain degree, almost owe 
a big portion of my acting career to whoever that teacher was in Mexico mm -hmm. City back in the early 80s. Right. For, for being willing to say, this little kid's got charisma and charm. And of all the other white kids, because I was at a 90% Caucasian school, said, I'm going to cast this little brown skinny boy as Captain Hook and do some colorblind casting in the early 80s. And if it wasn't for that, maybe I wouldn't have caught the bug. I don't know. But it's lessons like that that I reflect back on. I say, wow, I got, I, I got a lot of giving back to do. That's good. You know, how, do you, how do you give back? You know, having conversations like this, um, sure. um, participating in mentoring young minds and young hearts. I, I do a lot of leadership speaking. Um, I'm always open with, um, I'm always open and available to anyone that has a question and I make myself available to, to mentor people that are proactively activating themselves. Mm. You know, I always like people, all, I have a lot of people that will approach me and say, Hey David, could you, would you be willing to do this? And, and I'll be like, yo, I'm happy to mentor you. I'm happy to offer a mentorship. And so I'll just give you like a little homework. I'll ask you, I'll say, you know, go off and do this. And if you take 30 days to turn around with that, I'm uh, next time you reach out, I'm just going to probably be a little too busy because you clearly don't have time for yourself. Yeah. Right? Um, but I like to offer anecdotes to bubbling minds that are interested in the absorption of it. That's good. And I love, and I love to inspire people, you know, because I've, I've had a background. You know, I've I'm three and a half years sober. You know, I've been I've been sure. through the ringer, man. I've been you right. know I spent, I spent my teens in and out of jails. You know, doing the wrong thing, and so I've I've had a silver spoon. I've also had a homeless spoon. Wow. You know, and so as a result of that, um, I'm very interested in in giving people abundance because the world is full of it, and I want them to be able to see that and not scarcity. You don't see scarcity, see abundance. You know. Yeah. So I ask this question a lot, you know, uh, for the people like yourself who took their art serious and the side of art that is poetry. Mm -hmm. What made you believe that you could do more with your poetry and, and it not just be a hobby like most? Mm. Um. You know, I I don't really know if there was a pivotal moment. I just know that what was important and still is important for me mm -hmm. is what nourishes my spirit. Because that's the most important thing, right? So I invite anybody that is wavering, that is uncertain about their their, their chosen field or about their art to ask yourself, does it nourish your spirit? Right. Mm. Um, does it make you want to get out of bed on Monday? Right. Um, we have to consider that because if it nourishes your spirit, then we default back to what Dr. Seuss says that never mind those that mind what you do, because mm. those that matter don't mind. <laughs> right. And so if you surround yourself with people that are ready to nourish you and uplift you, and remind you that what you're doing, even if it is just going to an open mic, you know, two or three times a week, if that's where your heart is fed, then feed your heart. Because when I moved to L.A., I came here with a theater degree and I graduated magna cum laude, top of my class from Arizona State University. I'd done a lot of big theater there, leading roles in the main stage there. But I came here believing that L.A. was waiting for me. Right, right, <laughs> I, was, right. I was sorely mistaken. <laughs> right. uh, and, um, you know, and here I am 16 and some odd years later um, because I have resilience. Right. Resilience is informed by my know-how that I have something to offer. Now, having something to offer is rooted in experience. Now, how do you gain that experience? You gain that experience through faith and believing that what you have is worth it. Mm. Right? So the poetry and where I am now fed my heart because when I was coming, when I was in LA and I was trying to get a SAG card and I was working at Jillian's and city walk and getting sift on hot dogs and hamburgers, working in the service industry for over a decade, 
Some actors have the improv shop. Some actors have the stand-up comedy at the comedy store. I had the open mic. So while I was waiting for the casting director to notice me, while I was hoping that I would get the right headshot or get the right agent or get the walk-on role on General Hospital or on Days of Our Lives, I had the open mic. Wow. fed my heart. And that invariably turned into me producing Soldier, which suddenly informed me that, wait a second, I can actually get noticed at a high level through poetry. Mm -hmm. Wow. So as a result of that, I just kept going. You know, I often talk about this guy named Burt Young. And uh, he, if you ever saw Rocky, anybody saw the original Rocky, he played Paulie in Rocky. Yeah, get in the, get in the ring, Rock. Come on, knock him out, Rock. That's, that's right. Rocky. And when I finished Arizona State, I was working on a movie called Transamerica. And I was working on the crew. And um, it was my first glimpse of a real movie with star power. And Bert was working on that movie and I used to smoke cigarettes and, you know, he was in the corner smoking a cigarette. I couldn't wait to talk to him. He was the first real actor that I had like, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so as a result, so, you know, but when you're on the crew, you're not supposed to talk to the town. They don't like that, you know, especially right. at the PA level, you know. But I got him in the corner and I was smoking a cigarette with him and I said, hey, hey, Bert, you know, um, uh, you know, I just graduated theater school. I'm going to LA. I'm making the money here. I'm going to use that. Give me something. Give me something. And he's smoking a cigarette. He goes, kid, just keep showing up. Wow. I keep hearing that. And that's all he gave me. And I wanted the Oracle. Like, I was ready to make a buddy. Like, I wanted his phone number. <laughs> None of that. Right, was right. You know, but I could literally tattoo that on my forearm. Just keep showing up. If poetry feeds your spirit, if painting feeds your spirit, and you got people that are naysayers in your life, get them out of your life. Mm. You're the one that's got to sleep at night. If you look behind me, you see this painting right here, this one, the white one with the B in it. That's one of my original works. You know, wow. I've, I've been, I've done gallery shows in Scottsdale and in, in Beverly Hills and in Arizona. I've done, you know, I've done fine art exhibits of my abstract contemporary work. I'm an artist first. Artist, I'm an artist first. Right. Uh, I'm an actor second. I'm a writer, poet, third, um, screenwriter, producer, director, lover, madman, not necessarily in that order. You mm. know, but I'm mm. an artist. I see the world through art. Right. I interpret things artistically. And if you know that you have that about you, attack the island and burn the boat. Hmm. Once you burn that boat, there's nowhere to get, there's no number of salt water back there. So you better keep right. going. Right. And just keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of poets that that can say that poetry feeds their spirit. At this. So what they'll do is they'll work their nine to five and they'll do the open mic in the evenings. Mm -hmm. But that'll be that'll be their routine. That'll mm -hmm. and and. That'll be their routine and they'll continue to do that, mm -hmm. but want more. Mm. How did you say, I'm going to create an actual production? What, what, what was that? What sparked mm. in your mind to say, I'm going to get these lights. I'm going to get actors. I'm right. Where did that come from? Sure. Um, you know, I talk about, um, and you've probably heard this before, that the good is the enemy of the great. Yes. Right. So as soon as you decide, and there's nothing wrong with being good. So we talk about your first example of the poet that goes to the open mic and that's the routine and that's what they do. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. That's, yes. you know, they're, they're participating in a culture, right? Yeah. That's cool. Some people are happy with being good. Some people are happy with a two-car garage and a dog and one and a half babies in a small backyard, and that's their life. Nothing wrong with that. Some people want to be great. Now, as soon as you settle to be good, you cannot be great because you've given up everything that it takes to be great because you've settled to be good. All right. So let me give you a deeper example. If you remember the movie Gladiator, right? Everybody's, right. Many people see Gladiator. So the mm -hmm. opening 
there's there's the battle with the Romans and the barbarians and Russell Crowe's character. He smells the soil and they win the battle, right? So just for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, I'll paint this picture for you. So you're the let's just say you know you're you're you, the, the battle is won, and at the at the, as the camera moves through the encampment of the soldiers, you see these soldiers that just won the war. They're drinking mead and they're eating leg of lamb and they're laughing and they're boisterous and they're counting their spoils and they're celebrating and they're stretching out and that. okay. There's one man walking through that encampment, and he's not celebrating. He's not drinking. He's not eating leg of lamb. Mm -hmm. He's surveying his men because it is up to him to make the next decision for what is going to be the next chapter of their lives. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the distinction between the good and the great. Because the good are they're great soldiers. They're good soldiers. They're good soldiers. They, 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 they won the war. They won the battle. But the general has to do things that don't qualify as good. Being great isn't always popular. Mm. Being great isn't always easy. Being great is often lonely. Being great is often very mentally and emotionally dangerous because you have to be willing to walk the dental floss of what is standard and what is visionary. So you have to be willing mm. to be audacious and you need a lot of gumption to be able to step into an artistic field and be bold enough to make big decisions like I'm going to make a poetry film and I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to spend thousands of dollars of my own money and I'm going to inspire people to believe that what I got is worth picking up. Do you think picking up what I'm putting down? You know, when we think about movies or we think about plays, or we think about a one-man show that's told entirely in poetry. Like, let's, you know, you think of a guy, think of a great man like Mr. Tyler Perry. And I'm, I'm currently on a, on a seven-episode seven arc of a show called Ruthless for Mr. Tyler Perry. Awesome. And plays, movies, TV shows, they aren't made with money. They're made with inspiration. Yes. Poems aren't made with money. They're made with inspiration. Mm. How do you get your one-man show funded? You have to be inspired enough to write it, inspired enough to know it inside and out, so you could sit across the table from another human being and pitch that inspiration for money. And if your inspiration is alive and well, and your idea is bold and vivacious and is worth picking up, somebody's going to pick it up. And that's how movies are made. That's how TV shows are made, you know. You got to have the idea so I can go in the room and pitch it to YouTube originals or pitch it to, to Quibi while they're done or pitch it to, you know, any network. That's where the money comes from, but the inspiration has to come first, right? And that's the distinction between the good and the great because some people are just good at being good and some people are like, no, I don't want to just be an actor. I want to be a producer. Yeah. You know, and if you want to go where a few people go, you got to do what a few people do. Mm. How many um, spoken word productions have you produced? Um, I probably have a collection of about almost twenty. Wow! Um, and and they're all they're all very high concept. Um, yeah. And when I think and so for people that don't know, please check me out. Like just Google David Bianchi and you can go on please, my YouTube, go on my YouTube go on my YouTube channel or go on my website, davidbianchi.actor. And I, I really want you guys to absorb this work so you can understand the amount of detail that goes into it. Um, you know, I've produced uh, spoken word films with Malcolm Jamal Warner, um, with Mustafa Shakir, um, you know, um, you know, just recently. Uh, with Javon Wade, who plays Cyborg on Doom Patrol, um, and now with Sean Smith and, and New York Times bestseller Lisa Nichols and Global Transformational Leader. Um, you know, all these people that I have had the honor and privilege to work with, they all came into my atmosphere as a result of my body of work. Right. So this is what I, I invite to the audience. I don't know what you guys do. I don't know what your day job is. I don't even know if you're a good poet. Doesn't matter. It ain't a, you don't have to answer to me. You right. just have to answer to yourself, right? So I was once on a film festival panel with a bunch of great actors, and and um, everybody. the question was, how do you get your foot in the door? And I remember, and I'll leave the actor's nameless, but these were all headlining actors. 
well, you got to get an agent. You got to get a headshot. You know, you want to do this. You want to. So I got the mic in my hand. They pass it to him. We were all sitting on the director's chairs in front of a couple hundred people at, at, at the Phoenix Film Festival. It was. And I says to him, I says, um, what, what, what door are you talking about? What door are you talking about? Just build a frame and walk through it. Now, mind you, the first door that you build, you don't know how to be a carpenter. You're not going to know how to bevel edges. Your nails are going to be bent and janky. And, you know, the, the latch is going to be off. And it's probably going to fall apart when you close it. And, you know, you're going to feel like a failure. Okay, fine. But Denzel Washington said, if you're going to fall, fall forward. Right. Scab your elbows, not your butt. Right? Mm. So build another de- build another door. Build another door. Build another door. Eventually, you'll become a craftsman. And people will have no choice but to pay attention, and they just may hire you to build doors for them. Wow. And that has been the trajectory of my career. You know, this piece, Let's Grow, that we're talking about, or that you mentioned, and so the audience has a sense of it, it's a 16-minute it's a 16-minute spoken word film. So it's a piece of spinema that's 16 minutes long, uh, starring myself, New York Times bestseller Lisa Nichols, and Global Transformational Leader, and Sean Smith. And it's essentially... Um, a film that is told entirely in poetry that viciously and unapologetically faces the demons between men of color and Caucasian men in America and the the ills and the trials and tribulations of what it means to be white or black in America and how to get to a place of growth in this turbulent time. And this piece is a direct result of a piece that I wrote called I Can't Breathe. Mm. my personal pain and anguish during the George Floyd protests. And we shot that, me and my friend Ryan LaMasters, he directed it. We shot it, just me and him in his garage, social distanced, one camera, one director, one talent member. I wrote it and I sent it to him and he was so blown away by the words. He's like, we got to do something with this. And so we ended up producing that deadline picked it up and KTLA ended up broadcasting it for the entire Los Angeles market on their award-winning series, breaking bias off the strength of, I can't breathe. Lisa Nichols saw that on social media and said, I, 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 I want to work with you. And I said, well, I want to work with you. Wow. Said, okay. Let's do this now. <laughs> and I can't and I can't breathe was a connection of a previous short film that I'd done with the same director. So going back to what Burt Young said to me, in my career and in my life, I've just kept showing up. I don't care what you think of me. Mm. I, don't care. I don't care if you think what I'm up to is a good way to spend my money. It's my money. It's my life. Mm. You got your own, you got your own to, to, to live. You know, the four agreements tells us. That you have to be impeccable with your word, number one. Number two, don't take things personally. Right, right. And, um, you know, we oftentimes get really caught up in taking things personally. Yeah. 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 I'm studying money right now. And there's a word that I've learned um, that's used in many different ways. But it's the deployment of money, not Mm -hmm. the spending of money. When when you deploy your money, you're intentional about what you're or where you're placing your money. Right. So because in deployment, if you think about soldiers, you're you're sending sending them off to fight for you, for you, for their country. Right. So your money is fighting for you, working for you. And so that's how I look at money now. It's where do I deploy my money? Mm. Right. It's it's in the same vein of investing. And so if I'm going to invest in myself, I'm going to I'm going to deploy my funds into lighting, into just self help, self development like you like you did. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're absolutely right, man. Deploying money is really a, a, a beautiful um, adjective to describe how the rich get richer. See, the thing is, 
this is an, this is all, and I know this might be a little off topic, but as far as poetry is concerned, but as it comes to money, you know, because as artists, we're always like money is always a topic. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not. There, there are very few wealthy artists, right? <sighs> Poor people work for money. Yes, wealthy people's money works for them. Right. That's it. Period. Very simple. It's really very simple. So if you are someone who is working for your money, make it a point to do, as you said, to deploy that so that whatever assets you have can work for you. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll never build wealth. And, you know, speaking of money, I love money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not going to sit here and act like I don't. Oh, money's not money's not doesn't root happiness. Money's root of all evil. Well, that's coming from someone that probably doesn't have any. There you go. <laughs> you know? That's that's um, the only people who say that. Right, exactly. And 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 does money breed happiness? No. No. But it does breed options. Right. And if you are someone who, like myself, is socially conscious, like myself, who believes in his artistry, who knows he has something to offer. I owe it to myself to earn as much as I can so that I can transmute that into more artistry. It's perspective. It is perspective. It's it's perspective because if, if you leave it at surface value and just say money isn't everything. No, it's not everything, but it can provide, I wouldn't say everything, but a lot more than you have. Amen. And I mean, you know, I, I mentioned Mr. Perry and, um, you know, take or leave the content that he creates. You know, you don't have to necessarily subscribe to the things that he produces. Right. But he is 51 years old and is now in the Forbes 300 is a is one point four billion dollars. And he has literally changed the television landscape forever. That's not possible without money. <laughs> so and he from nothing from nothing i i was literally two months ago during camp quarantine um shooting the show ruthless and living on his studio lot living in a brownstone that was built by slaves during the mid 1800s because his his studio is formally a confederate ford right. operating office and that was so profound for me, so profound to look at the, the tiles at the foot of the fireplace. And I had a moment because as an artist, we think in textures and colors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had a moment that I looked at the tile and it's the original tile. And I had to pause and think about how many hands and knees and forearms were burned at the foot of that fireplace to feed the logs into that fireplace while the masses sat on the bed to stay warm. You know, and I was able to sleep in that home and I show, and, and, and I, I was willing and I wanted to offer it so much respect. Mm. Uh, and none of these things were available without money. So, you know, money is your friend, not your enemy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and I, I've I've read this as well. If if you're going to be mad at the rich, you'll never become rich. Because why why would you become something that you hate? Right. You're sitting right. here mad and and you're hating rich people. But again, with perspective. If you knew, even if, you know, some of the things, you know, were immoral, whatever, but I can guarantee the, the average person could not walk a day in a wealthy person's shoes because they won't do. Um, like you said, it is it is. Will you do the things that others won't? Right. Like. I completely turned TV off like three years ago hmm. and people wonder why I'm able to produce all of what I'm able to produce with three daughters, five and under with wow. a wife work in church nine to five. You know what I mean? Wow. wow. But 
I applaud are willing to turn the TV off at the very least. I applaud that. I really do. I really applaud that, Christoph, because that's that right there is exactly what I just described. Yeah. That there's the good and then there's the great. And what yeah. what great people do isn't always popular. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you know, overnight success takes 10 years, right? And um, you know, as far as they are concerned, the people out there, like they will applaud you when you're exalted. They will forget you when you're down. And when you're at your when you're at your 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 sea level, they don't really have time for you. <laughs> so at the end of the day, this is self-sustaining. And we're only as good as the company we keep. What I heard you say, which was mm. fascinating, is that you're nurturing the grass that you're standing on. Yeah. You know, and yeah. other people are suddenly seeing your garden full of vegetables. And they're like, hmm, what you got going on over there? Yeah. Can I eat? <laughs> you know, and um, that's a, that's that's beautiful, man, that you're able to to balance all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. But like you said, it's it's simple. But it's not easy because the answer is simple. The, the, the simple answer is turn the TV off. Makes because, sense. Yeah, because you've said, not you, but the person, you said that you don't have time. I don't have time, man. Time, 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 time. Put the Xbox down. Just calculate. Calculate how many hours of mm-hmm. TV you watch a week. Yeah. I'll leave it I'll, let's take, I'll even take it even a step further, man. I'll even speak to my men out there. Calculate how much time you spend texting the multiple females in your life that you're trying to juggle. Man, if we can get that. I think about that. I think about that. If you're te- and this is men and women. This could be, you know, if you're if you're sort of dating and balancing multiple relationships, that, that's taking away from your primary preference vault of asset, which is your time. And it's not just your this time. It's your mental capacity. It's the random access memory. Every day we have this thing called the magic number, where every day you're able to process a certain amount of thoughts before your brain shuts down. You get tired, right? And everybody's magic number is somewhat different. But every single time that you give energy away to a text message, to an Instagram, to this and that, you're taking away from your magic number. You're taking away from your magic number and you reach shutdown because you have perpetuated it to other things that are not related to your purpose. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if you're texting three people a day, on average, five texts, that's 15 texts. Figure each text takes a minute to process and then a minute to post process and a minute to pre-process. You've already lost an hour and I'm just being light. <laughs> yeah. An, an hour of 10 waking. <laughs> you know how I look at life, man? We always say the cliche and it's sad that it it's become a cliche that tomorrow is not promised. Mm. The, but the thing is, it's the truth. And if and if you're living in your purpose, you know you're up against the clock. Amen. Right? You're Amen. like, I have so much to do. Literally, I have so much. To, when you're in your purpose, you have so much to do. Yeah. Yeah. I taught, I, you know, when we first started this conversation, I said, you know, I, you know, again, good is the enemy of the great. I love when my, my friends are great. The people that I call my friends, my personal circle, they are great people yeah. doing great things. And oftentimes they're not really available to me because they're too busy being great. <laughs> they ain't got time to be on the phone with me talking about, you know, listen, I love this whole digital thing because, you know, before this, before this whole digital thing, I'd have a lot of I'd have a lot of folks tugging on my coattails, like, "Hey, you want to get a cup of coffee?" And I'd say, I would literally, I would, I would say, "Okay, what would you like to talk about?" Wow. Because I'm going to lose commute time to sit down to have a cup of coffee with you to talk about what we could just do over the phone. Why do we tangibly need to be in the same place? You know. And so I love this whole digital format because it just yeah. really takes a lot of that out of the out of the equation. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited um, about this movie that you have coming up. And I'm really excited about everyone watching and listening that will then go to Google, YouTube and look you up. Because I just did it a couple of days ago and I was just like, I thought I was doing something. 
<laughs> I thought I was doing something with the podcast, the clothing line, and so on and so forth, you know, the academy. And I said, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I I, I knew people have, you know, like you said, the, the spoken word uh, videos standing in front of the camera, but an actual production with acting, lights, the whole nine, the everything. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, and thank you for, for saying that. I, I appreciate that. And then I, I think I often feel like I don't do enough. So, um, and I'd love to get one of those t-shirts, man. That's a dope shirt. I got you, um, man. Um, you know, my most recent piece that I just, that I directed called Wait in the Water, um, which I saw that. audience, check that out. That one is, for over 15 years, I've wanted to evoke Wait in the Water, the Negro spiritual, somehow in spoken word. Um, and just things didn't align properly to do it. And it ended up landing and, and, um, you know, 34 people, almost 40, 40 people worked on that movie from front to back. Um, it's a nine minute and 60 minute, um, piece of spinema, um, starring myself and Javon Wade, Own You Love, Lou and Radford. And it's, you know, you watch it, you're like, this is a Hollywood level production. Period. Hands down. Um, we just actually just today, I just found out we got selected into the um, the Toronto Black Film Festival. Um, and I'm you said nine out. minute and 60 minute. What do you uh, sorry, about nine minute and 46 seconds. I gotcha. Nine minutes, nine minutes and 46 seconds about, yeah. um, you know, it's original score. Um, I, 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 so I produced, conceptualized it. I directed it. I'm one of the poets. Um, I edited, I edited the thing. Um, and, um, and that's a product of over a decade of filmmaking experience, right? There's no, you know, this is, this has been a real culmination of of my acumen as a filmmaker and as a poet. Right. Right. No. And yeah. I have so much work to do. Yeah. So check out Wade in the Water. That one's it's it's we released Please it. Do. Yeah, Please we do. Yeah. That keeps showing up, man. That that is speaking to me because just tonight, it's Friday night, you know, and again, like I said, I have a nine to five, I got three kids, so on and forth, so on and so forth. And I'm super tired, like right now. And I was telling my wife, I was like, man, I am really tired. But when I when I get here, I'm in I'm in it. And because I'm I get to speak to people like you, and and I'm like I'm wide awake. I'm wide awake. <laughs> now when I close this camera, I'm gonna be like this. <laughs> but I'm so inspired right now to do so much, so much more, man. And and I would love to connect with you. As a matter of fact, I was on the, I was on the phone with my mom, um, and she brought back up uh, an old poem that I did when I was in high school. Well, the title of it. She said, "Do you still have? Do you still know that poem?" And I'm not gonna say the title because I want to tell you off screen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I was just thinking about that two days ago." Um, she said, you need to do something with that. I was like, that's divine synchronization right there, man. And, and, um, I'm just really excited. Like, tell me for the, for the artist, for the poet that wants to take their art to another level, like you've done, what are some of the steps that they need to take? Um, I think one of the most important steps is have an incubator. And what I mean by that is an incubator of people, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at any, any art movement, you know, if you look at like, you know, Salvador Dali, you know, he was hanging around Picasso and, you know, there was, you know, and if you look at, you know, like, even if you look at like the Wu-Tang Clan, like there's a, there's a, there's a think tank there. Um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, any great artist movement, there's always been an incubator of artists that have been a collective to be able to ping pong ideas. Um, so I recommend, you know, setting up collaborations with people. Um, 
because you need someone to be able to bounce ideas off of. And not every idea is going to be grounded in reality. Right. Some ideas is just going to be too damn crazy. You know, yeah. but some idea is going to be like, okay, we can do that. Yeah. You know? We can do that. We can. I've done a lot of team poetry pieces with poets over the years that were just about collaborating. Literally, sometimes three poets doing alliteration and voice throwing and echoing and things like that. You know, co real choreographed poetry, live performance pieces that turn into writing, you know, one man shows. And um, if anybody is thinking about, you know, creating a short film out of one of their pieces, I recommend that you find someone that is equally as hungry as you, but in a department that you don't understand. So what do you do? I'm a powerful poet, right? But I need yeah. a camera. I don't have a camera. I don't know how to use a camera. Okay, so go to your local film school and find an up and coming director that owns a 5D because that director needs a reel or find a cinematographer who's also a director who owns a camera because they need footage to, for their reel to promote themselves. Right. And then if you guys make a commitment saying, look, I'm the poet, I'm gonna promote the heck out of this and I'll help you get the resources that you need to make it look good. They will teach you how to operate and how to work around cameras. They'll teach you camera language. Next thing you know, you'll understand glass, over the shoulder harnesses, Ronin's light, camera grip, electric. You'll start learning these things. And then you create a collaboration because you're good at writing and you're good at performing. You're good at being a poet. This person owns a camera, owns a couple of lights, and then you guys can just get a couple of locations and, and also produce for what you have, right? A lot of people step up and they're like, yo, I want to do, do this poem, man. And it takes place in a liquor store. Man, you ain't got a liquor store at your fingertips. What you talking about, bro? You're talking about that's called spending money that you don't have. Right. Right. But behind you, Christoph, you got a white room. Okay, that could be an insane asylum if you wanted it to be. It's a white room, right? Um, all depends on how you light it. So write for what you have um, and get people that are at levels that are budding with where you want to be. So now you have an incubator of people that are both and all emotionally invested in creating something that feeds them each respectively the same way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that part right there, even for me, is the hard part. And that is finding that circle. Like I literally have to go out and create that circle. Mm. I just naturally I don't have it, mm. you know, and it's that thing. Um, and it's, you know, just saying it is just going to sound egotistical. But, you know, being the smartest one in the room means you're in the wrong room. Agreed. You know what I mean? And I just I need to get in other rooms um, because I, I've just always been uh, the the one with the answers, if you will. You know what I'm saying? And and I need someone that can answer my questions or inspire me to go higher mm -hmm. in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know? You know, one of the things that if you go on YouTube and you look at some of the more popular poetry videos on YouTube, right. there are oftentimes videos that are somehow tied to congregations you'd actually be surprised to see that most Christian spoken word poetry has massive viewership. Yeah. Massive. Why? Because they've got built-in distribution. Right. They've got a congregation of people that are dying for that message. Already. And, they've, and, and most churches have cameras. Most churches have lights. Most churches have mics. <laughs> you know, you've got so you be so it, it's it's a really simple, it's a really simple solution to a complicated problem. It's a life hack right there. It's a life hack, you know. Yeah. And then you know, because if you could, but now of course you have to be writing stuff that cosigns that is that can be cosigned by the congregation. Sure. Right. Uh, but but if it gets five, six million eyeballs, a million eyeballs on you. Then you could go do your little side one. So you do two for them and one for you. Got it. Got it. That's um, good. That's I mentioned good. That you mentioned that you work with a church. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And also the idea of writing, you know, Christian or faith based poetry spreads like wildfire. On the wildfire. Internet. Yeah. The other thing that people tend to, to, to forget is that YouTube, people look at YouTube as an entertainment platform. YouTube mm -hmm. is not. YouTube is a search engine. Yeah. It's owned by Google. 
YouTube is a search engine. When you go on YouTube, when you're looking for, you look up spoken word, that's what you type in. So mm -hmm. whatever you that is going to come up. You, you type in, how do I edit a movie? How do I cook a pie? It's a how-to platform. It's a search engine. Yep. So, and learning to crack the code on YouTube is, is definitely a little hack, um, which I'm still working on. Sure, sure. YouTube University. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I watch more YouTube than than anything, man, and I, and I go for the information and the, and the inspiration. And again, to to find your page, I was just thrown, man, and and I'm really excited to see what you have, you know, coming up. Um, uh, do you see? And I'm sure because you keep showing up, right? Do you see your spinema? on the big screen without a doubt it's guaranteed i i told myself a very very long time ago that i will be nominated for an academy award and i believe that to be true and as long as i believe it who cares what anybody else believes there you go you know i i didn't i didn't come to la to fail right and I'm not going to produce anything that isn't going to go to the highest possible level I can take it. You know, right. I, I, produced, I produced a movie with Danny Trejo and he said something great to me. He says, he says, you know what, David, I'd rather aim for the moon and miss than aim for the gutter and make it, you know? So wow. I, I hold that to my heart, you know? So the answer is yes. Um, I've actually written um, feature length scripts that involve spoken word poetry. Um, and then I'm actually developing a, a streaming series right now that I've created and I'm producing a streaming series, um, that is basically revolving around spinema. So awesome. um, from a visual, from a visual perspective, I got to admit, I, I love the stage and a mic, but from a visual perspective, it's, it's archaic. Wow. I mean, poetry jam was groundbreaking for its time. Right. So the flow was a good show, but it was a copycat of HBO Deaf Poetry Jam that sure. had to be on, you know, on, on TV one. So it was a saturated version of right. HBO Jam. Because right. it was creative liberty by the artist, right? You right. couldn't say inflammatory things and so on and so forth. Sure. So the idea of spinema for me is not reinventing the wheel. I'm just making it better. Right. I'm giving people like Christoph mind-blowing experiences through poetry Indeed. and if you don't know what poetry is you're just going to tune in because it's really visually compelling good and, yep. if you don't, and if you're not even there you're gonna be like wow these performances and what's it so it's a it's a way to just broaden a beautiful art form that we love so much sure you know and sure. make it accessible to the world right in a way that hasn't been done before indeed indeed david man like I said at the beginning, I really appreciate the information. I knew I was going to get some some gems from you, man. And wow. and I was so right. Um, when I finish editing this, I'm going to watch it again because the inspiration that's coming from um, even now is just on another level. Um, I, I today, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I, I'm an alpha. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a fraternity and, um, you know, I wrote a poem 17 years ago when I first, well, when I was pledging okay. and, uh, I'm in the position, the most important position, we have seven founders and I'm in the seven position. Right. And so we call our founders, the seven jewels. And so I'm the jewel of the line. Right. And, uh, when I was pledging, I wrote this poem called seventh heaven and, my dean, who was also a seven, the, the person that kind of brought us through, said, "You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna perform that at your probate. You're coming out." Mm -hmm. I said, "Oh man, another poem I got to memorize." But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> you know, and and yeah. do it by myself. Yeah, but man. but listen, that was that was 2003, and ever since then, every seven, at least in my chapter has spit that poem at their probate wow. and beyond Hampton, Virginia union, and just across the country. And so 
17 years later, I finally released the documentary of it. It's nine minutes and 46 seconds. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you said that, I was like, oh, that's how long mine is. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. And, 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 and we have, I, I, I was able to get the general president of the fraternity um, because he's a seven. And it was it was just amazing. I've been trying to get it done for years, but I kept showing up. Yeah. And 17 years later, man, uh, I'm, I'm going to send you the link. I literally just released it at 706, 706 because it's 1906. That's where our fraternity was founded. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, I'm really proud of it. And. I'm looking forward to do so much more with it. You know, I'm I'm a page poet, not so much a performance poet. But what I do is part, like you said, if you if you don't, it's not that I'm not great at it. I don't have a passion for the stage. I have a passion for the pen, right? And so many people would mix me being shy or being scared of the stage. That's not it at all. Like I, I'm the founder of an organization. I got to be on the stage all the time. That's not the case. It's just, that's the work for me. Like the having to memorize and do it over and over. That's not where I'm at. So I partner with actors and actresses. And for those who have the passion for the stage, just like a songwriter, mm-hmm. Right. They give it to the singer. Right. Mm-hmm. Same deal. And I call it poetic productions. And I put these productions on like you, but not on that level yet. Now that I'm able to see it, now that I'm able to see it gives me so much, man. Yeah. And and that's why we that's why I'm doing the Poet Life podcast so I can bring people on so other poets can see that it's possible. Because you can't be what you can't see. Agreed. Right? So it, that week to week, I'm bringing people on, the Sean Smiths, the David Bianchis, and allowing them to impart on people around the world and say, like, if I'm blown right now, like, my mind's blown, I just imagine someone driving in a car, just listening or watching on YouTube, and they're like, man, I can do this now. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. It's huge. It is. It is. And uh, and I'm grateful to, to to be in a position where I can inspire people. And and I look every day to be inspired. Sure. You know, we all we all need butane, you know. Nice. You know, we all need a spark. And um, you know, what they say, you want to be the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. Right. Uh, you know, because I mentor young men because I need to be reminded of where I come from. But I also like to be mentored because I need to know where I'm going. Thank you. Thank you. You know, that's what it is. Because I, you know, it's like there's a lot of people that wish they had my problems. But I, when I look, I look up and I'm like, man, I want their problems. <laughs> right. Right. That's why yeah. you hear, you know, check on your strong friends. Right. Because yeah. your strong friends are always strong for other people. But who's strong for your strong friends? Mm, mm, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's look, man, it's Friday night. I'm not gonna hold you, man. I just really enjoyed this conversation. As, as I told you before we got on, it's not an interview. We're just having an awesome conversation and just breaking it down for people, man, and making it more simple, um, more simpler for, for people that think it's a whole lot. Now, even though it may be a whole lot, if you take small chunks of it, you can make it happen. All you have to do is just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And we can leave, you know, we can leave it with that. Um, yeah. You know, check out Way in the Water. Check out, you know, um, December 13th. We are yes. online premiering Let's Grow. Um, it really is a powerful piece of work. I'm very proud of it. Um, go to letsgrowmovie.com. You know, mm-hmm. tickets four seventy five. So we're going to do an online viewing of it, and then we are going to do a full on ninety minute interactive, nice. great cultural conversation that's going to involve myself, Lisa Nichols, and Sean Smith, and the director Daniel J. Pico. And we're really going to, you know, we're really going to get honest. 
And awesome. the format is we separate everybody into breakout rooms and we really get people communicating because it isn't just about the film. It's about what change can we evoke through the film. Totally. So that's, totally. you know, I'm happy to be here, man. And I mean, awesome. the, I want one of them shirts, bro. That's dope. Most definitely. It's just, listen, when I say it, I'm going to make it happen. I don't know how much Sean has expressed with uh, to you, but um, we're, we're assisting you with taking this movie through the people. Um, we have poets sending in 30 second to a minute videos um, mm. themed Let's Grow, speaking on racial injustice, man. And when I tell you, I have about 100 people that are poets that are writing right now. So most definitely, because I told them you got you got to go through the people, you know, and and the poets are ready, man. So listen, David, thank you so much. Um, I, when I get off this mic, I'm going to pick up my pen and start writing some notes down, man, because I'm ready to move. And I'm sure everybody listening and watching is ready to move as well. So let's move. Let's grow. December 13th, please go to, well, go now, as a matter of fact, and get your tickets. Um, let's grow movie.com. Yeah, it's just 475 and a portion of our proceeds we're going to be giving to 501c3s to help nice. support, um, you know, inner city youth and urban culture. And, um, you know, because this isn't about trying to make a buck. This is just right. about, you know, covering some fundamental costs, you know. Indeed. And we completely understand that for sure. Listen, it's the Poet Life Podcast. What's your website, David? Uh, David Bianchi dot actor. .actor, not .com. So David Bianchi dot actor. Uh, you can Google me, David Bianchi, or go on my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash David Bianchi. And uh, my Instagram is right there. Thank you right so there. much. And, and hit me up, man. I'm accessible. I love communicating. He is. He is, for sure. Listen, it's the Poet Life Podcast. Everybody have a great weekend. Go to our website, thepoetlife.com. Check out the things that we have going on. Our gear, poetlifegear.com. We have a lot um and we're making it happen as you can see we have david bianchi on the poet life podcast listen y'all have a great weekend we're out introducing the poet life podcast go check it out today on your favorite platforms including itunes apple music and the website thepoetlife.com find a way find a way